Hey guys, and welcome to the Grow Podcast. We're so happy that you're here. I'm Ashley, your host through the monthly grain segment of the podcast brought to you by the Landis Grow Solution Center. Today on the grain segment of the podcast, I have Reese in with me again today. Just as a reminder, Reese is our merchandiser here for Landis, and we're going to be taking a deep dive into the WASDE report that was released on January 12th. And just a quick reminder, those WASDE reports stand for World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. And there's a WASDE report released once a month, but really typically the January report is quote unquote higher valued of a report. So Reese, I want to talk about that. Why is January so important? And then kind of give a quick deep dive of what happened in that report. Yeah, so the January report gives us the final production number in the U.S. from the crop that was harvested a few months earlier. So we, uh, in this report, we got a final look at corn yield, soybean yield, and then uh, corresponding production. So that's uh, there's no more estimates for what was um, produced last fall. It's going to be that's the number that we're going to trade. That's the number that's going to determine our ending stocks, et cetera. So the other thing that made uh, the report a couple weeks ago. Uh, so important was quarterly stocks. So quarterly stocks are what they sound like every quarter. Um, the USDA takes kind of a survey of what amount of bushels are on the farm, uh, in the commercials hands, at the at the processor, um, and also in transit. Compiles us all together, and then we can look at that number over time too. So January tends to be a, a big market mover because you know there's a lot of information there. You're getting final numbers, which is always a big deal, and then uh, and look at what kind of supply available supply is out there. Mm-hmm, for sure, and I mean, give us kind of a recap, right? It's been a little while here now, but tell us what happened on the report, obviously, and where we've been since then. Yeah, not a great report for the market bulls out there. Um, pretty much all significant factors came in above estimates. So corn yield, uh, USDA called, you know, 177 and change nationally. That's the highest it's ever been finalized, not the highest it's ever been estimated, but the highest it's been finalized. Uh, you know, that's a a big number when you have a, a record yield for the U S you know, bean yield came in strong too, you know, no really issues there on the supply side is what the USDA is telling us. So, um, you know, that makes having some sort of supply rally a little tougher. As far as stocks, those kind of came in in line. You know, everyone kind of knew that going into the report, December 1st stock, so all the census data or the survey data was compiled to be a snapshot in time on December 1st, and then it takes them a month to compile and they, you know, gave it to us on January 12th. But corn stocks year over year were much larger. That makes sense. Farmers haven't moved nearly as much grain year over year as they have really in the past three years between harvest and now. And then soybean stocks, actually uh, estimates were lower than year over year, which is kind of interesting because we really haven't been on the same kind of export pace year over year. So, you know, the market was expecting some sort of yield story there. Like, okay, we didn't grow as many beans, so there's not as many stocks on hand. Those actually came in above estimates, so that wasn't great. Either And, you know, on that day, beans crashed as much as, you know, they were down like 27, 28 cents per bushel, you know, on that information. So and then when you take bigger supply, bigger available supply and equal to lower demand are ending stocks numbers. So that's the again, ending stocks or carry out are kind of used interchangeably. That is on the end of the crop year. So 831, 2024, how many bushels of corn and beans and wheat or whatever is left? in the U S ending stocks. That's what that means. And you know, that's the number 
that final number is what the market uses to determine where we at um, as far as if grains are priced fairly and um, those numbers went up. So when those numbers go up, it's not usually bullish for prices and that's that's kind of how the market reacted. Yeah, you know, I was at a meeting last week and was listening to the Deputy Secretary of Agriculture here for Iowa, and he was talking about, you know, Iowa had, I think he said, like the fifth largest yield report for X amount of history in Iowa. I think it was, was it 201? Yes. Um, And he said, you know, if we're producing 201 corn in extended period of drought across, you know, the swath of Iowa, what happens when we have a really great year? Um, produce, you know, so record yields even higher than the 201, you know, his point just being, we need a whole lot more of demand. Yeah, that's a great point. The world is getting better at growing stuff. And a lot of that has to do with outstanding seed genetics, drought resistant crops, weather resistant crops, wind resistant crops, whatever. I mean, there's a a lot of R&D and, you know, a lot of money that goes into seed genetics. And he makes a great point. The last few years, we've seen more significant drought conditions than the previous several years. And we've been going up in yield, not down. So that's, you know, that makes the idea of, oh, it's dry out, you know, maybe that doesn't mean as much for price. So yeah, it's six of one half does the other, I guess that's, uh, you know, good because you can out yield weather hopefully and bad because, you know, you don't want to wish bad on your neighbor, but you know, maybe your neighbor's crops being poor doesn't impact the price for your grain as much, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think to your point, right, like the farmer has gotten, I think in order today to be a successful and financially sound farmer, you have to be agronomically sound. I think probably in the last four, I don't know, five years, we've probably started to weed out some of those farmers that maybe didn't have their agronomics down. And so I think the farmer is really, really good at growing corn and soybeans. I think right now we can really see that the farmer has not been a good marketer. And so I want to go ahead and move into that topic. And I know if you're listening as a farmer, if I just pushed your hot button, I'm so sorry, but we're going to talk through it. Okay. (laughs) So I want to dive into the situation at hand, right? Like the farmer has so much corn, um, either commercially stored or, you know, in his own grain storage at home from a merchandising perspective. And, you know, I'll maybe get into an originating side of what I'm hearing, but what do you feel like the farmers, like where's, where's the farmer's head at today? Yeah. You know, to your point, I'll just comment on the state of Iowa Another data piece that we get from the stocks and acreage report that came out on the 12th was um, it's kind of a breakdown of what's on the farm and what's in the commercials hands. And year over year, the Iowa farmer has 60 million more bushels of corn on farm than last year, year over year, as of uh, December 1st, 2023. And, you know, not a lot of farmer grain has moved since that date. So it's probably sitting at about the same. Which is really crazy. 60 million. 60 million bushels. So as far as, you know, commenting on where folks' attitudes or heads out on marketing, you know, it's probably a sense of should have sold more ahead, should have sold more, you know, a couple months ago off the combine when prices were a little better, you know, hindsight is always 2020, right? But, um, you know, I I think um, it's important here. You have some time with old crop. You know, if you want to just, fo- if we want to just focus on old crop, you know, that's where all the data has come from that, that we know that we're talking about that with this report. It's really important here to manage risk. And I, I've told that to a couple of guys that I work with, you know, I'll say it to the group here. So what does that look like? Well, it means taking advantage of price rallies 
uh, whether whether or not it's a five cent rally, a ten cent rally, or a twenty cent move in the market. We need to be in the mindset of if there's an opportunity, a decent opportunity to, to sell some grain, that a rally could instill, take advantage of that. The fear is right. Well, what if it goes up tomorrow? What if it goes up the next day? Well, my counterpoint to that would be, uh, USDA just told you that there's sixty, at least in this state, sixty million more bushels of corn on the farm that are likely unsold year over year, you've got plenty of bullets in the chamber to take advantage of what may or may not happen tomorrow or next month or in the next three months. It's going to be important to manage the risk of the price actually dropping lower in the next two or three months. So there's several things that could happen either way. It's hard to, you know, no one can predict the future. No one can predict the markets. But what I mean by managing risk is like there's plenty of bullets in the chamber. Let's fire one on a day that, you know, might give you an opportunity, whether that be in basis or futures or both. Let's just fire one just to make sure we're covered if this thing drops another 30, 40 cents. Mm -hmm. I think something that I've been talking to customers about lately again is, you know, we have a pretty big book as a company of like a basis delivered contract. Do you want to put a stop loss in play? You know, some of those things that probably haven't been talked about for a couple of years, we're going to start to talk back to those. Um, you know, where is our, like you said, kind of risk maintenance? Where are we, what are we doing? I think I'll really be interested to see. I have quite a few customers that are have really good hedge positions on and they're just sitting back waiting for basis. Let's talk about it. You think it comes? Basis? Yeah. That's a great question. If you look at the country as a whole today, you look at where the corn was produced. One of these things doesn't belong here, uh, to quote Sesame Street. And that thing would be Iowa corn basis. If you look at Illinois, Indiana, North and South Dakota, parts of Nebraska that uh, don't include Columbus, Missouri, Kansas, wherever, the Southeast U.S., corn basis relative to how much of a crop was produced is highest in Iowa. And it doesn't make sense. We know USDA just told us that there is ample supply in the state of Iowa. It's just not for sale. And it's a testament to how lack of farmer selling, lack of farmer movement can impact local markets. I mean, obviously it has very clearly, the farmer hasn't moved and basis is still very strong. But my caution to that is like, well, I'm just going to hold it off the market, let's say, and you know, eventually they got to come get it. My caution to that is if you give the market enough time to solve a problem, it will solve a problem. You know, a good example of that was already back in November, we saw corn shuttle trains, 110 cars of corn, move from Indiana to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. That move should not happen. You know, you have to go by a lot of processing, a lot of river terminals, a lot of demand to get from Indiana to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And that's the move that made sense at the time. That's the farmer holding stuff off the market around the Cedar Rapids area. And the farm in Indiana just getting rid of chucking their corn because they had so much of it. So if you give the market enough time, it's going to start to solve these problems and it's going to solve these problems through basis. Also, every day that goes by, in theory, if you have unsold grain, you are losing leverage on that unsold grain because that's in theory one day closer. This might sound stupid, but it's one day closer to next fall. It's one day closer to your neighbor down the road pulling the trigger because he's got a bin warming up or whatever. Okay. So as far as what direction I think basis is going, in my opinion, it's going from here likely lower. Depending on the weather and movement the next few weeks, we could have seen the highs in basis because everyone is kind of sitting around thinking, well, USDA just told us that there's plenty of supply out here. We don't want to overextend our coverage because eventually it's going to come and we might be able to buy it cheaper. So my opinion on basis is 
basis sales should be made here in this time. I mean, basis is very high because not a, there's not been a lot of farmer movement. We should take advantage of that basis at least. And then like, you know, you were mentioning, um, we have a contract here called extended price, sell basis, pick a futures month, you know, give yourself, buy yourself some time to see if futures rally and improve that cash price. That's a great option in my opinion, because futures prices are low I and mean, they're seasonally, they should be low this time of year. That just means historically corn and soybean futures are low this time of year, but basis right now actually should be weaker than what it is. Sell the thing that is a glaring opportunity, which is basis and wait a little bit on futures. So Sorry, long-winded. My thoughts on direction is it's pretty high now. I should get some sales on basis-wise and could go higher, but likely it feels like it's going to go lower. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's two very different customers out there today. One is, you know, hedged waiting on basis. The other one is completely unhedged, really just waiting. And I think, you know, my one point to that farmer is always the longer that you wait for basis currently, look at what the futures have done, right? So I think I'll be interested to see as we move closer and closer to March 1st, you know, that's typically a pretty big cash day for customers as they're writing checks potentially to cash rent to landlords. It'll be interesting, I think, to see how much corn moves from now to then. I think the farmer's pretty good on cash flow today, it feels. And so that's kind of the next, you know, as a farm kid, it's kind of like the next, oh, I got to get my checkbook out and write some big checks. But I want to talk about another thing, kind of moving into new crop. One thing that we've talked about a lot, you know, over the phone is, what happens if the farmer doesn't move corn until, let's say, August? It's a great question. So we would call that a tin can harvest, cleaning out the bins, getting ready for the fall. If you just think about it, if all of the supply, not all, a majority of the supply in the state wants to move 30 to 45 days before harvest, there's not enough processing capacity in this state to chew through all of that supply. And so the risk the farmer has of that happening is that that severely impacts the price of corn off the combine uh, this fall. Going back to what I said a few moments ago about losing leverage the closer you get to fall, well, the market cannot bear that kind of execution from the farmer's perspective. So, you know, an ethanol plant, a feed mill, a soybean processing plant, they're going to buy as much as they have to to bridge the gap between old crop and new crop. And if all that supply wants to move in August, they don't have to work very hard to bridge that gap. That means they're going to buy what they need. They're going to drop their bid. And quite frankly, their bid's going to be even lower off the combine because they'll have what they need to bridge the gap. And then at the point in time where supply is it's most available, which is harvest, the demand for corn and beans, which basis is demand, the demand for corn and beans is going to be even less. So... Um, that's a huge risk uh, if, you know, growers all hold it off, you know, potentially thinking that, oh, well, you know, these folks are going to run out of available supply eventually. I would just caution that thought process because the closer you get to harvest, now that calculation for all your demand centers, whether it be a rail destination feed mill, a rail destination, destination ethanol plant, export markets, Iowa ethanol plants and feed mills, that it just becomes a daily calculation. What do I need to buy today to bridge the gap? And every day that goes by, it gets lower and lower. And so I would caution that that kind of thought process that keeping your whole crop through August to try to take advantage of an opportunity like that provides an incredible amount of risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it would certainly create an interesting storyline heading into fall, one that I'm not sure I want to see. Well, <laughs> we haven't seen it in quite some time because supply has been so short. 
Um, and there's been excellent demand. And the farmer has moved a lot of his grain post-harvest mm -hmm. the past several years. The flat price has determined that. The market being inverted has determined that. And it's made new crop basis probably more inflated than what it had to be. I mean, we've seen new crop bids the last several years be very high compared to five to 10 years before that, where you're going into fall at 45 under the Ds. And this past few falls, we've been going in there at 20 under and maybe even better in some instances. Um, if a scenario played out like we're talking about, everything moves in August, we're going back to 45 under the Ds. Mm -hmm. Which I think would be a really hard wake-up call for a lot of customers. It would be different <laughs> for the last several years. Yeah, very much so. Let's talk about the future, kind of looking ahead. Obviously, we'll have, you know, these monthly WASI reports come out. But really, the next big, as I would say, kahuna is the planning intentions or acreage report, you know, released here on March 28th. Talk to us a little bit about why that is such an important report uh, annually. Yeah. You know, it's not fact, the planning intentions report. It's just estimates. You know, I'm not, I don't exactly know how they go about coming up with that estimate, but it really is the first look at, okay, how many acres of corn and beans are going to be planted this spring? And what does that mean for the S&D? And it's our opinion and many in the market actually, that with the nice fall that we had a few months ago, it doesn't look like it now with all the snow on the ground, but Thinking back to last fall, the weather's very good. Input prices are cheaper than the year before. I think a lot of agronomic decisions were made to plant more corn this spring. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've heard similar feedback in the Dakotas, in Nebraska, in Illinois, Indiana, especially within the I-States. So what does that mean? That means that, I guess, as it sits today, the market feels like we're going to get a big corn planting intentions number in March. And that's likely not very bullish for Dees 2024 corn. So from a farmer perspective, my advice or my opinion would be if somehow in the next 30 days we can rally Dees 2024 corn futures to back around $5, 505, you know, kind of where it was sitting pre-2024, it's probably worth some sales. Not Maybe not cash sales, maybe just future sales, but sales. You know, you could use OTC products like accumulators too. If you think there should be more out there than in $5 or $505. But I would, you know, if nothing else, have some offers working here for the next 30 days before that report. Because the way it feels today, that does not feel like a very good positive market mover based on based on what we know today and what our, you know, our colleagues in the industry think about how their fall went and what kind of inputs went on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it feels like from my agronomy cohorts or, you know, it feels like this fall was, I've heard it numerous times, our biggest agronomic fall application ever. And yeah, if you think back, Reese is exactly right. It was beautiful. Really through Christmas, it was beautiful. And so, you know, I've had a couple customers say, I'm switching some acres away from corn. And I think it'll just be interesting to see, you know, if there's anhydrous put on, obviously you've kind of locked in that decision, but I think it'll be really interesting to see if you're a spring anhydrous guy or gal, what do you do? Do you continue to go along the corn route? You know, and I, I'd be really interested to figure out where break-evens are today. And that would be my big caveat is if you're farming, what is your break-even and does corn or does soybeans look better today? Because potentially if soybeans look better, it's gearing up to be a 
potentially really big year for corn. Yep. And if you've left yourself in a position to have some fringe acres this spring, the interesting thing after the intentions report will be how the market reacts. In theory, if we're going to plant 92, 93, 94 million acres of corn this spring, beans are going to have to buy some acres. So, you know, maybe the economics after the intentions report will make it easier to buy some seed beans this spring versus corn, depending on how your operation is set up. I'll just share this information. I was looking at the numbers this morning. What makes me really nervous about the next three to five months from a pricing perspective is right now Landis owns less than a million bushels of new crop corn. We all know that the grower did not have a lot sold going into the last fall. It feels relatively the same going into this fall. And so I think a lot of the agronomic decisions to go more towards corn had to do with G's corn being above five bucks, but it's very clear that risk was not managed by actually making sales in that in that level to justify our economic decisions. So again, all the more reason to have some offers working out there. And again, if we get some premium out of this market to be a more aggressive seller to, to manage that risk. Mm-hmm. So you've dipped into, you know, my next question a little bit already as we start talking about 2024 Dees and Nov. So I think the common consensus here is if we get close again to this $5 on Dees futures, be selling some for sure. But as we think about, you know, soybean, Nov 2024, I mean, any recommendations there for customers really to start thinking about? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I think I like beans in the teens just because, you know, it's a historically a, a, a profitable level, you know. The Nov futures don't have a 12 in front of it anymore. They got an 11 handle in front of it. If we are going to plant 90, again, a, a large number of corn acres, you know, you'll likely see some sort of help from the Board of Trade on New Crop 2024 soybeans. But yeah, if, if you can, if we can rally this thing 50 cents to a dollar, that's where I'd have my offers working for New Crop 2024, just as a base, you know, and then again, if the market needs to buy soybean acres, that should provide more pricing opportunities this spring and summer. So that's why I think on new crop, did you want to touch base on like even getting into March or January 2025? Yeah, I think for sure you seem to be a pretty big advocate of March 2025. So talk through that a little bit and where your head's at, especially I think thinking about how we're going to carry market again, because that's really important. Yep. So big difference. And it's hard to, especially in the state of Iowa, to get into carry mode because the cash market so all your basis levels at the ethanol plant or whatever is still inverted. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, because the farmer has not moved a significant portion of their crop like they have in the last several years. So we have futures markets in carries, meaning May is worth more than March. July is worth more than May. But the cash market is still kind of inverted um, in corn anyway, not so much in beans. But, you know, as once that inverse breaks, which it's likely it will because corn is going to move eventually here. Once that inverse breaks... The main way to manage your risk in the carry market is to sell the carry. If the market's going to pay you money to hold your grain off um, from selling today and you sell in March of 2025 or May of 2025 or July of 2025 or in this scenario in May of 2024 or July of 2024, the market's literally going to pay you to do that and you don't need cash up front. That's how you manage your risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... If you look at next year's crop, if you look at March 25, May 25, July 25, all those prices are a lot closer to five bucks than anything we got on the board in 2024. Mm-hmm. So a nice way to manage your risk, especially if you've got bins at home, is go out there and sell that curve. 
sell the carry. You know, March 1st, 2025, you're also going to have a rent payment due, right? Yeah. You know, let's sell some futures out that way and maybe let basis rally next year just at, at decent price levels because simply they, you know, those are they're better prices. The market is going to pay you more to hold your grain off the market. That's a, a carry. And so selling that carry and managing that risk is how you navigate through this carry style market. That's what the market's telling you should do. The market's smart. The market's efficient. You should reward the market for doing that. Just like in the past several years, we've had the opposite advice. The market's been very inverted. You should have moved, you know, again, high sites 2020, but the market was telling you, move all your corn now, move all your corn now, don't wait until July. And in most cases, in most years, that ended up being right. Uh, we saw the highest prices net of interest right after harvest. Yeah. Um, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, for sure. And I think it is. It's It's been hard for, I think, the farmer to grasp their mind around again is we have been inverted for quite a few years. And so... You know, if you were a customer this year that had these hedges on and you had capacity to put that corn into your bin, you know, you likely picked up 18 to 20 cents of carry just to go from these to March, which is huge. I mean, that's, you know, typically we always say maybe 10 to 12 after the fees or whatever. So I think just reminding yourself, right, um, this is how you maybe take advantage of some of that interest cost or truly why, you know, as Dustin Weiner would say, you built your bins to take advantage of the carry. We're back in that carry. So utilize it, sell ahead. Don't just be putting corn in the bin just to store it, yep. right? Now there is actual return to space. Yes. Your space has value because the market's paying you for that space. It's mm -hmm. paying you again to hold market or grain off the market and sell it later. So mm -hmm. to Ashley's point about what happened, what unfolded this year, she's talking about futures, hedges. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, if you had December 2023 corn sold on the board of trade, uh, and you didn't like the price or you didn't like the basis coming out of fall, uh, a lot of folks rolled those December futures from December to March, and they picked up, the market paid them like eight, 15 to 20 cents to do it. So that's real money just being added on to the value of that futures price. That's, that's trading the carry, that's using your bins, that's all the things we've been talking about. The good thing is we're getting back, you know, prices aren't seven bucks, but we're getting back into that style of market where you can quote unquote capture that carry we can use your bins um, but it also requires you to sell the carry yeah. right so you know make a these 25 sale, make a march 25 sale you know things like that can really help you here yeah i think the biggest advice that i would have right is know your break even and know when you're going to need cash line those two things up and start selling you know hedge drive contracts futures only contracts with us looking ahead um i also think you know and i don't want to dismiss this before we go into 2025 but if you do still have old crop in the bin and you're thinking i've got maybe some quality issues maybe it's getting you know warm we have price later at many, many of our locations. We also have the extended price contract, which both of those contracts would leave your futures open. Um, so, you know, call the grow line, figure out, you know, with an originator, how can you move some of this corn, get it out of your quality risk if you are having some concerns, but there's still potential, I think, to gain on the market too. Yep. Agreed. I mean, we are in seasonal lows right now. Mm -hmm. um, again, I'll, I'll keep going back to the analogy. The six shooters full. Right, because not a lot of sales have been made. A nice way to manage the risk um, and get one of the bullets out of the chamber would be anything you just talked about. Uh, moving grain now to avoid quality risk, you know, setting basis now and waiting for a better day on futures, which is likely, you know, coming. We'll kill the crop eventually and we'll have, you know, some sort of futures rally. But managing your risk that way so you don't have all the bullets in the chamber um, is going to be helpful. It might hurt 
a little bit to, to pull the trigger. Yeah. Um, but it's the right thing to do. And I think like emotionally disconnect yourself to a point, right? Um, I always joke with a few of my customers that would your wife be interested in doing this because she is way less emotionally attached than you are. I mean, figure out that we're no longer at those $6 cash flow levels or whatever they were, you know, kind of get over that hump and, and just like reset, kind of make a sale here to, I think, really protect your risk. So last thing I really want to dive into, and I think some of our agronomy partners might get a little squirmy at this topic, is I want to talk about these 2025 futures. And obviously the reason why I say that is there's not a whole lot of agronomy prices out for 2025. And so you probably don't know your cash flow or your break even number, but let's talk through maybe getting some risk off for 2025. Yeah. Um, you know, right now there's not a lot of carry these 24 versus these 25, meaning mm -hmm. it's not like these 25 is, you know, five and a half and these 24 is yeah, 475. They're, they're priced roughly the same. Making a sale definitely would be a lot easier if you knew what your uh, input costs were going to be. Um, but again, it boils down to managing risk. So, you know, for the right grower, um, being active in DS25 might look like an accumulator contract, which, you know, because accumulator contracts are an over-the-counter contract, you can call your, your growth solution specialist to work on those through Landis. Uh, essentially, they're accumulating futures above the market. And the way that does it, and I'm not smart enough to fully understand how they do it, but they do it with options and options of something called time value. And so the more time there is between today and when that option expires, which a December 2025 option would expire in November 2025, there's a lot of time value there. And so you can accumulate December 25 futures above five bucks. You know, to your point, that's an emotional level of like, you know, Typically throughout history, if you can sell corn at around $5, you're making money. That's a great place to start. Accumulators are not for every customer. You know, they vary depending on comfortability or, you know, how many acres you're farming, et cetera. Um, but I would at least encourage a look, you know, if you aren't interested in, in, in accumulator contracts, a look at just a futures only contract. Yeah. Um, you know, if we are going to end this bull cycle, which it does feel like we are, you know, world supplies are huge. Demand is kind of teetering steady to lower. Um, you know, South America continues to be a, a better um, grower of crops. Um, if we are going to end this bull cycle and, and go back to prices that, you know, we haven't seen in the last six, seven years, 475 these futures, 475 futures off the combine. If you just look back at recent history, pretty good sale, pretty good start. And so, again, would you know your cost of production so you, you know, per se know if you're going to make profit on that? No. Not today, likely, but it's about managing risk. Yeah. Um, and you can look at it as for December 2025 or the crop you're going to grow in 2025, your worst sale would be at 475 futures-ish. Yeah. I don't know where exactly the board is trading right now. Your worst sale historically not a bad level yeah and i think it's important to note too like we are recommending that for the the right grower right and also maybe up to 20 percent until you know your break-even uh, prices right probably less than 
I mean, we're not talking about selling half of your production here, but I think it's good to at least start looking at those, to start talking to your originator about those levels, where the board's at. But Reese is exactly right. I mean, I think last week they were within a penny of each other, Dees 24 and Dees 25. So kind of interesting there. And I think it'll be interesting to see when and how they spread out and, you know, what that looks like. A lot of it will likely have to do with this intentions, planting intentions report mm -hmm. coming up and, and how the crop gets put in the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay, so kind of big news here. Just to recap, we've got the intentions report coming out March 28th. Be working an offer. And just a reminder, you know, with our offer system, you're obviously working on the overnight and the day trade, um, which is really nice because you're likely not going to get a hold of your originator at 1 a.m. So a really great opportunity. And I think with those extended price contracts, too, if you are looking to move some grain but also need some cash flow, we have the opportunity to take some cash advance on those contracts. So another good opportunity to get some things moved. But, Reese, I just want to thank you for coming on today. Um, kind of a nitty-gritty conversation here about grain, but... I felt like the farmer really needed to hear from, you know, you today to just hopefully get his head aligned a little bit better with all of the crop that's out there. Okay, well, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening.